It's uh, quite a task to be able to preach to a church in one service and to say something meaningful and effective, something that is lasting that you can take with you from the service and to feel like that it will be beneficial to you. But if there's one thing that I think I could talk to us about tonight, it is in the uh, nature and on the topic of spiritual growth. Having been in uh, several churches through the years of uh, services similar to these, I have a hunch, just feeling, that uh, there are Christians among us here tonight. Some may not be, but uh, probably many of you have already made professions of faith. You have been baptized in the waters of baptism, members of a church, maybe even Temple Baptist Church, and you have begun a walk with the Lord Jesus. I want you to think about what that experience was like when you started that walk and ask yourself, have I continued the excitement and the enthusiasm of what it was like when I came to know Christ? I think that if many of us put our spiritual journey on a graph, if you plotted it on graph paper, we would have to say that when we came to know Christ, we were excited, we were enthusiastic, and we, we grew dramatically those few months maybe even the first few years that we enjoyed that relationship with him but typically what happens is after we walk with him so many times we, we, we hit a plateau and sometimes we are even in decline well I have come tonight burdened by the Lord Jesus to remind you that it is his will that we continue to grow spiritually See, here's the problem. Many of us probably came down the aisle during an invitation hymn that we sing called Just As I Am. You familiar with it? And it's a wonderful tune. It's a wonderful message that we send to individuals. And that is that you can come to Christ just as you are. But I want to remind you that when you come to Jesus and you accept him as your Savior, he does not want you to stay just as you are. He wants you to grow. He wants you to cultivate that friendship, that relationship that you have with him. To understand all the dynamics that are involved in it. And as you grow, humanly speaking, but also spiritually speaking, you discover that there are more and more opportunities and seemingly more responsibilities that we have as we mature as Christians. And we have to learn how to manage it. We have to learn how to be stewards of it. Here's the problem. Sometimes we think of ourselves as posts stuck in the ground. But I want to remind you that the scripture says that we're not posts stuck in the ground. We are trees planted. And those trees are designed to produce a fruit. And that fruit is indeed a harvest for God's family and for God's, God's kingdom. So my appeal to you tonight is that you will sort of do an evaluation of your own spiritual walk with the Lord Jesus and ask yourself, am I growing spiritually? Have I grown spiritually since I came to know Christ? I'm a person who likes to see things modeled in a person's life. And I think that most of us would say, I'd like to see a sermon rather than to hear a sermon. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me if you would to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And I want to show you a man in whom I think there were predispositions toward 
spiritual growth. I'm going to call this five steps toward spiritual maturity. And I want you to follow my train of thought because I think that in this scripture, this little snapshot that we have of this individual, we see what it takes to grow spiritually. I've met lots of Christians through the years who have said, Bill, I want to grow. I, I just don't know what I need to be doing. Well, tonight, take a mental note, write down a note or two. I think you'll find that there are opportunities for us to grow spiritually all around us if we just take advantage of them. Now, we're going to read about an individual whose name is Nathaniel, and he's sort of the uh, man under the microscope tonight. When you leave, I want you to be mindful that this man, Nathaniel, I believe was one of the 12 disciples. And if you do any individual research on the 12 disciples in the New Testament, there are four listings of the 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, you'll discover that Nathaniel's name is not mentioned there. And you'll say, well, how in the world can you say that uh, Nathaniel was one of the 12 if he's not named as one of the 12? Well, his name isn't there, but there's another name in the listing of the 12, and it's the name Bartholomew. And many, many Bible students believe that Bartholomew and Nathaniel are one and the same individual. Now, I, I don't know if this is true in Louisiana. It's not true as much in Mississippi as it is in Arkansas. But lots of folks go by two names, right? Billy Bob, you know the story. Well, what we believe is that Nathaniel was the name given to him at birth, but Bartholomew was his surname. It was his family name. You break it down, Bar in the Aramaic means son of. Bartholomew means son of Tholomew. And so what you see here is that we believe his name was Nathaniel, the son of Tholomew. And look at how the scripture tells us about Nathaniel coming to Jesus. And this is really the only time in scripture where we see Nathaniel mentioned to any degree. Now he's mentioned over in John 21 again, but not to the degree that he's mentioned here. Look at what it says beginning at verse 45. It says, Philip, found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Your translation may say, in whom is no guile. Just hold that thought. No deceit. Verse 48. Nathanael said to him, that is Jesus, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Five steps toward spiritual maturity. Keep in mind, I think this is an introduction of an individual, a man, to the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. So I don't think we could say at this point that he's a Christian, but I think he has this dispositions that are needed in order for him to grow spiritually. And we know that there were many, many people who were spiritually inclined. So Nathaniel is one of those. The first thing that I want to show you is that I think Nathaniel was a student of the Bible. You say, how in the world do you say that? 
Well, look at what it says in verse 45. It says in verse 45 that Philip, who was also one of the 12, by the way, who'd already met Jesus, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him. Now notice the quotation marks. We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote about. And he is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip condenses down into one sentence the entire Old Testament. And all of these men who were looking for the coming of the Messiah talked about it, studied the scriptures. And I personally think that Philip and Nathaniel had sat down together and studied the Old Testament references and the promises about the coming of the Messiah. And so when Philip said, we found him, he really could have stopped there. But he went on to say, we found him of whom Moses and the law has written about and all the other prophets talked about him coming. And he is namely Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I think Nathaniel knew exactly what Philip was talking about. Notice that Philip never uses the word Messiah. He never uses the word Christ. He just says, we found him. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you a student of the Bible? Here's what I've discovered. And it's not just true in one church. I think it's true in a lot of churches that when it comes to the need of spiritual leaders in the church, who typically gets chosen, who typically gets selected or elected? It's usually a vote of popularity, isn't it? But are your, spirit, are your leaders, your church leaders, true spiritually minded men and women who are grounded in the word of God? What about you? If I brought you up here and gave you a simple ABC test in the Bible, could you pass it? When I was a junior in high school, the chaplain to the Atlanta Falcons came to our our high school, which was Pontotoc High School, by the way. How many of you know where Pontotoc is? Let me see. All right, got a few folks out there. It's the land of hanging grapes. It's an Indian name, and that's what it means, the land of plenty. Not sure it's true, but the land of plenty. The chaplain came to our high school, and it was in a day when you could talk openly about your faith, young people. So, you know, I want you to know he came and he spoke personally to us about a walk with Jesus Christ. I'd surrendered to preach when I was a junior in high school. And when I was a senior, he was there. And in that assembly in the high school auditorium, he talked about Baptist brats. Now, he did it in a humorous sort of way. We weren't truly offended by it. But he made some comments that just sort of stuck with me. He said, you know, if I brought some of you up here and asked you to list the Ten Commandments, you couldn't do it. He said, if I brought you up here and said, I want you to name the 12 disciples, you couldn't do it. Now, some of my classmates went to church with me, and they knew that I'd surrendered to preach. And so they're looking down the row at me saying, go on up there, preacher boy, take his challenge. I'm like, no way. After that assembly, I went to my favorite class, study hall. (laughs) And in study hall, privately, but just between me and the Lord, I took his challenge. I took out a blank sheet of paper on the table there in the library, and I tried to list the Ten Commandments. Do you know how many I got? Seven. 
Now, I probably should have told you already, I was going to church nine months prior to my birth. All right? My mother had me in church every single time the doors were open. As a matter of fact, at one time in my life, and I'm not proud of this, by the way, I was a GA. (laughs) Yeah. For those of you who don't know what that is, GA stands for Girls in Action. It's the girls' missionary group that meets and talks about missionaries, prays for missionaries, communicates with missionaries, all those kinds of things. Now, there are some people in the service who are saying, Bill, you better explain that. You were a girl. At one. Not, not literally. My mother taught the GAs in our church, and so, you know, I used to just sort of sit out there on the sidelines and listen as she would tell the stories and, you know, pray with the girls, whatever. And it happened in our home. Our pastor told my mom, put him on the roll. <laughs> So if you go to First Baptist Church, Bruce, at some point where I grew up in Calhoun County, you're going to find my name listed there as a girl in action. Not proud of it, but there it is. I got seven of the Ten Commandments correct. Horrible. Seventies of passing grade. Some of our young people are saying, what's wrong with that? Well, you just need to know all the ten. You can't just do seven. You've got to know all of them. I won't even tell you how far I got naming the twelve disciples But I'm here to tell you, it was a defining moment in my life. And I said, Lord, right there in that library, I prayed a prayer. And I said, Lord, if you let me learn the scriptures and you let me have the opportunity to preach, I want to preach in a way that people get it. They understand on their level. It's really relevant where we live. And it causes us to want to know you more, to love you more, to serve you more. Lord, that's who I want to be. God, forgive me that I've lived all of these lives saved at the age of nine now, a senior in high school. I can't even name the Ten Commandments. I was convicted. Went to college. Went to seminary. Sat under some wonderful, amazing professors who taught me the Bible and taught me the scriptures. And I went back to a little country church where I was serving the Fords Creek Baptist Church in Pearl River County. On a good Sunday, we had probably 20 people. I preached on the Ten Commandments. It went pretty good. First time I'd ever preached in a series. So the next Sunday, I showed up on a Sunday morning. I said, I'm going to preach on the 12 disciples. Every Sunday morning, you're going to hear about a disciple. Sunday night, you're going to hear about a disciple. At that time, by the way, I didn't know that some of those disciples, all we know about them are their names. (laughs) Those were some short sermons, I'm here to tell you. But I preached on the 12 disciples. Seven Sunday, after that seven, sixth Sunday, the seventh Sunday we came back to church, I had the ushers pass out little slips of paper. I stood up and I said, uh, before we sing the call to worship, I would like to take a pop quiz. Now, they looked at me like you would look at your pastor if he said you're going to take a quiz on a Sunday morning. I said, all I want you to do is to write down the names of the 12 disciples. I've preached on them. Sunday morning, Sunday night. Now, you had to come on Sunday nights to get all of them, but I want to see how I did. I want to evaluate my own preaching. About that time, okay. They start finding something to write with, and here's what the men do. I'm standing in the pulpit. I can see what they're doing. They're cheating off of their wives' paper over there. 
the young people probably had five total there that Sunday morning. They're huddled up in the back. They think it's a cooperative learning exercise, you know. They're, they're talking about it, you know. Oh, I remember that name. Put it. And so they all write it down. We take it up, preach, go home, had lunch. After lunch, I graded those little slips of paper. Now, according to Angie, she's here, she'll tell you. I came out white as a sheet. She said, what in the world's wrong with you? I said, I'm horrible. I'm quitting. I'm getting out of the ministry. I can't. She said, what are you talking about? I said, not but one person who was there this morning listed all 12 of the disciples. Now, she's a preacher's daughter. She started smiling from, you know, ear to ear. And I said, and it wasn't you. (laughs) She said, how do you know it wasn't me? I said, because I recognize the handwriting here. It's Lenora Smith. She signs the checks. (laughs) I know it's her handwriting. She said, well, maybe it wasn't that bad, so let's, let's take a look at it and see. And so we got them out, you know, I decided, you know, maybe I need to grade on the curve. And even then, God was preparing me to enter education, you know. And so I, I, so I got the names Paul. Paul. Well, he wasn't one of the twelve, but he called himself a, an apostle, so I gave him credit for Paul. <laughs> I get the name Timothy. Well, well, Timothy was an understudy of Paul. He wasn't even... He wasn't even an eyewitness, you know. Okay, I'll give you credit for Timothy. (laughs) Trying to do a little better here. Then I come across the name Ruth. (laughs) Oh, several papers had Ruth written on it. Did you not hear anything that I said? Now, tell that story because I I enjoy telling that story because it's true. Everything I tell you is true, but that really happened. Uh, (laughs) But I want you to understand... That what we know about the Bible is important, but I don't think that God is interested in us winning a trivia contest. What we want to do is we want to study the Bible so that the truth of Psalm 119.11 can be a part of our lives. You know what Psalm 119.11 says? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. The Bible is God's love letter to us. The Bible is the guide map for life that leads us to the Lord, to understand Him, to know Him, to love Him. You get it? The Bible is the soil in which our lives are planted. And the problem with us, ladies and gentlemen, is that many of us have removed ourselves from that culture and from that climate and from that environment and from that very source from which we are to draw strength and grow. And I'm here to tell you, if you are not spending time in God's Word consistently, you will not grow as a Christian. It's just that simple. You'll never get past this first point in this message, and there are five points. Are you a student of the Bible? That's the first thing that I think is important. The second thing that I want you to see is that Nathaniel was a little bit skeptical. Skeptical. Just follow the outline. He was a student of the Bible, but he was also skeptical. You say, well, where do you see that? Verse 46. Philip has just said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the prophets did write about, namely Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Listen to Nathanael's response. What did he say? Can anything good come out of Baton Rouge? I mean, no. (laughs) Nazareth? 
Nazareth? What do you mean, Nazareth? Now, follow me. How in the world, why in the world would he ask that question? What had Philip just said in verse 45? He summed up the entire Old Testament. Go home, get out of concordance or your smartphone or iPad, whatever you may have at the moment, and Google it. You will not find a mention of Nazareth, so to speak, in the Old Testament. You will find that it talked about the ministry of the Messiah being in and around Jerusalem. It even pinpoints his birthplace, which is Bethlehem, what? Ephratah. There was more than one Bethlehem. It was the smallest of the Bethlehems. The Old Testament was that specific, but it never talked about his hometown and his influence emanating from Nazareth. So I think Nathaniel is asking a valid question. What's the point? Learn to think for yourselves. Do not be content on someone to spoon feed you for the rest of your life. For heaven's sake, what do we learn when we're spoon fed? Nothing but the shape of the spoon. That's it. 1 John 4.1 says that we are to test the spirits. To see if they are from God or not. Now follow me because I want this to make sense to you. Do you remember when Apollos was mentioned in the book of Acts? It says that he was an eloquent preacher. And people loved to enjoy listening to him preach. And that was all wonderful and good. But there was a time in Apollos' life where two saintly people. Do you remember? Priscilla and Aquila. Heard him preach. And when they heard him preach, they said, "Uh uh-oh, he is preaching the baptism of John. He's talking about the kingdom of God being near. And do you remember what Priscilla and Aquila did? In loving kindness, in grace, in humility, I think, they pulled him aside and they said, we want you to know that the kingdom of God is not just near, it's here. What John the Baptist preached about, repent and be baptized so that you may be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ, God's perfect son, has come and has fulfilled what John the Baptist was preaching. Now, what I'm saying to you is that if you are consistently studying the Bible, pick out one book at a time. There are some one-chapter books in the Bible. Pick out one your size. And read it over and over and over again so that you can become familiar with it to the point that when you come to church and you go to Sunday school and your teacher stands up and says, our lesson today is from so-and-so, your pastor stands up and says, today I, I want to share a message from the book of so you literally want to jump out of your seat. Why? You say, that's my book. I know that book. Because you've understood the flavor of that book. You, you understand the message of it. You've walked in the shoes of the author. You've walked in the shoes of those who received that word. You're familiar with it. When you finish that book, pick up another book. Start in the New Testament. Don't go to the Old Testament first. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. If you start studying as a young Christian, the Old Testament first, you'll have more questions than you have answers. But it's like an algebra book in the back. You find the answers who are there. You read the New Testament. You have the answers already with you. Then you go to the Old Testament and discover how the Old Testament authors presented Jesus as the Messiah and talked about him coming as the Messiah. Do you see it? Now, I say this lovingly. 
I think Reggie Bridges has a brilliant mind. I think he's a wonderful student of the scriptures. But it wouldn't matter if it was him or Billy Graham or pick your favorite author or preacher standing to preach. Do not listen to us as mere mortals only. Measure what is said, measure what is preached against the word of God. Why? Because God never contradicts himself. Do you know how people in the U.S. Treasury are taught to tell the difference between a genuine currency bill and a counterfeit currency bill? They're not allowed to handle anything but genuine currency. So when a counterfeit currency comes across them, this doesn't feel right. This, This doesn't look right. When you hear something taught from Scripture that doesn't, pardon the expression, this is a Mississippi term, jive with what you've learned in the Bible... Go back and do a little research on your own and ask yourself, why doesn't this fit with what I've learned and what I've heard? How about your level of skepticism? Now, I'm not talking about cynicism. I'm talking about skepticism that leads to a positive, healthy, spiritual growth. That was Nathaniel. Some of us need to commit to that a little more tonight. Look at the next thing that it says about Nathaniel. It says in verse 47, and by the way, Philip just said to him, come and see. He didn't argue with Nathaniel. He said, come and see for yourself. Verse 47 said, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Jesus uses a play on words here. And all we can imagine is that Philip convinces Nathaniel to come and meet Jesus. And as they are approaching, others are gathered around him. Jesus makes a characterization announcement about Nathaniel. And he says to everybody who's there, hey, here comes an Israelite in whom is no guile, is no deceit. Who were the Israelites? Descendants of whom? Jacob. Who was Jacob? The deceiver, the trickster, the one who went in and fooled his father into believing that he was Esau so that he could be given the birthright. Remember, Jesus uses this play on term. The Israelites were known as people who deceived people that didn't know them, the the, the others who would pass by. They they, They were sort of their reputation. But Jesus is saying of Nathaniel, he's the real guy. He's sincere. What you see is what you get. The word sincere comes from two Latin phrases that mean without wax. In those days, if you went shopping in the market and you picked up a vessel like a piece of pottery or something, oftentimes those who made the pottery would leave it in the oven too long and it would crack. And when they would take it out of the oven, they would melt wax and they would fill the cracks and then they would shellac it or paint it over or whatever. If you are a shrewd buyer, you would hold it up to the rays of the sun and you would turn it. And if you did not see any wax in the cracks, you would say, this is a sincere piece of pottery. There's nothing added to it. Now I'm going to say something tonight and you'll be grateful that you only have to hear me one time. Got two people's attention anyway. I'm just going to say it the way I feel. 
Nothing turns me off any more than an individual who puts on airs to impress me. You know what I'm talking about? They, they present themselves as somebody that they're really not. On the other hand, no, I'm not drawn to anybody any more than an individual who's just real through and through. Let me tell you about D. Flaherty. One of the deacons in the first church I ever served as a pastor, he had about a third grade education. He could not read, but he could quote scripture. Do you know how he could quote scripture? He would have his daughter and his wife sit down at night and read to him the Bible over and over and over again until he listened to the word so many times that he understood how to say the phrases. And he could do it by quoting chapter and verse. I went visiting with D. Flaherty in the community a time or two. And you know what I found? Is if ever there was a need, if ever there was a home that I needed to go in as a young preacher boy, and I was scared, I was a little intimidated, I take D with me, and D was accepted everywhere we went. You know why? It's just because they saw him as a real person. And when he talked to them about the Lord, it made sense. And they knew that D walked the walk, he didn't just talk the talk. You know why some of us have such a hard time convincing our family members that they need Christ? It's because we presented ourselves one way to them on one moment and another way to them another moment, and they know that there's a difference there. Just be yourself. Now, you don't have to parade your flaws. You don't have to stand up and announce, I'm a sinner and I've let God. No, you don't have to do that. Just be yourself. And let Christ be seen through your life. I think that's what Jesus is saying about Nathaniel. He's the real deal. He, what you see is what you get. Now look at the next verse. It's exciting. Verse 48, Nathaniel says, well, Lord, uh, you said something about me. How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you there. Now follow my outline. He was a student of the Bible. He was a little skeptical that's another step in growing spiritually. He was a sincere person. You have to be sincere with yourself to know where God is leading you and touching you and saying, I, I need to address this issue in your life. And if you're not honest with yourself, you won't be honest with anybody else. The fourth thing I want you to see is that Nathaniel was a supplicant. Supplicant. It's a fancy word that just means he was a man of prayer. You say, I don't understand. Well, in that day, fig trees were strategically planted around the house. And as the shade of those limbs would grow up and out from the tree, I think men and women probably too who were devout in their faith would, would come out and they would want to sit in the shade of the tree early in the morning, late in the afternoon, and they would unroll the scrolls and they would read the scriptures and they would pray. And do you remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees and those who prayed in public? He said, you pray loud and you pray long and you're such hypocrites because that's not who you really are. I think Jesus was saying to Nathaniel, when I passed by your house the other day and I heard you under the fig tree praying, you weren't trying to impress anybody. You were just being yourself. <laughs> I, 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 I say this, I, I've been with some preachers before who they're over here sitting, you know, in their chair 
And when it's time for, you know, and I know them, I know their personality, I know what it's all about. When it comes time for them to speak, they come to the pulpit and this is what they do. Shall we pray? And then when they pray, you wonder, who is that? Dear God. Got about six syllables to it. Six, yeah. And so you wonder, what are they doing? Jesus says, Nathaniel, I passed by your house. I heard you praying. You weren't trying to convince anybody. You were just being yourself and you were praying to the Father as I want everyone to know the Father. Are you a man or a woman of prayer? Now, at this point, I could preach for a long time about prayer. We all understand that prayer must be a part of our spiritual walk with the Lord Jesus. Prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. It's not a vending machine where we put something in and expect something in return. It's a relationship that we are cultivating with our Heavenly Father. And I'm going to tell you very point blank how you can determine if you're growing spiritually. Are you ready for this? It's... If you're more interested in his face than you are in his hand. When I was pastor of Sladen Baptist Church in Marshall County, that's near Holly Springs, by the way. I was there for almost seven years. I got a degree from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And part of the requirements meant that I had to go up there and stay three weeks at a time. Then I could come home be with my family. During that time, I developed what I thought was migraine headaches. Later, I would learn it was just that I wasn't staying hydrated enough. And I came home after being in Louisville, Kentucky one time for those three weeks, and I walked in the door, and I was exhausted. Traveling by myself, it was all I could do to make that trip. It was about seven hours, I guess, a drive. I walked in the door. Angie had been cooking supper, and I smelled what she'd been cooking, and normally it would just really you know, make my hunger pains just really, you know, get excited. But uh, at that time, it just made me even more sick. And, I, and she was sad. You're not going to be able to eat supper. And our girls were young. They were small. I have two daughters, by the way, both married. One lives in Clinton. The other lives in Shreveport. <laughs> Shreveport. And so they were small, and at that time, you know, you, you walk in, and you know what it's like if you've had children, grandchildren, they come up, Daddy, 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 and they wrap their arms around your leg, and you know, you just, wherever you go, you know, you're carrying them both on your legs, and you're walking around the house like this, and typically, you know, it's like, Daddy, you've been gone, what'd you bring me, what'd you bring me? On our way to Ruston tonight, my youngest daughter, who's a school teacher, by the way, was working in her classroom all day long, and she called. She was on the speakerphone in the truck. My wife will witness it. What did she say? What are you going to bring me? I said, you're married. Ask your husband. You know, she said, no, but it makes me happy when you bring me stuff. That's what she said. I have to remind her, she's 25 years old. What have I raised? Normally, as children, that's what they do there. But I was sick. Oh, my head was pounding. And I could, you know, all I could do was think, I've got to go to bed. I've got to sleep it off. Maybe I'll be better. So I went back in the bedroom, pulled the shades, closed the door, took off my clothes. I got in the bed. And I was just about drifting off to that twilight there when I thought, oh, it's, it's going to go away. I, just, I heard the door open. And the first thought that came through my mind was, an alien has invaded our house and walked in this room because I don't know anybody I live with who's brave enough to come in here right now when they know I feel so bad. 
And so I laid there with my eyes closed thinking, Angie's just tiptoeing in, going to get something to ease back out. But you know how you, know how you just, you don't hear the door close and so you know, you, you just feel a presence right there by you, you know. <laughs> I just kind of opened one eye and looked over and it was my youngest daughter, Ashley, the one that called on the way. And she, she's got her head, her chin in her hands like that and she's just looking at me eyeball to eyeball. And I just sort of grunted through my mouth and I, my teeth and I said, what do you want? This was her response. She said, I don't want nothing, Daddy. I just want to look at you. I patted her on the head, sent her on her way. Later on in reflection, I thought about just how deep and profound that is. When was the last time you went to your Heavenly Father in prayer and you said, Lord, I don't want anything. I just want to spend some time with you. I I just want to see you. Lord, would you just reveal yourself to me? You know you're growing spiritually when you're at that point in in your prayer life, in your dialogue with him. Lord, would you just show yourself to me tonight? Look at the last scene. It's a very simple truth. The last step toward spiritual maturity is found in verse 49 where it says, Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you're the king of Israel. You're the son of God. You know what I think Nathanael did at that moment? I think he surrendered to the Lord Jesus. Lord, you've made this character statement about me to everybody here, and I've wondered, how in the world do you... We never met. How did you know that? And I think Nathaniel was so moved, and he was so touched by God's Holy Spirit that he said, Lord, you're exactly right. You're the King of Israel. You're the Son of God. As Philip has said, it is true. You are the one Moses and the prophets did write about. Isn't it interesting... That when we come to know Christ as our Savior, there is a surrender that's involved with you saying, I can't do this on my own. Lord, Lord, I'll make a mess if I try to live my life by myself. Lord, I know I'll never be good enough. Lord, I'll never be saved unless I let Jesus come into my heart. Isn't it interesting that the very thing that we must do in order to be saved initially is the very same thing that we must do in order to grow spiritually? Because what happens? As we grow up, we we become mature. We think, I got this. I'm I'm leaving the Lord. I don't have to bother the Lord with this. No, listen. The Lord wants to be involved in every dimension and every element of your life. And every single day, your feet plant on the floor of your home. When you get up, He wants to be reminded, you're my child. And Lord, everything that I have belongs to you. Everything that I am is yours. I surrender it all to you. Is there any part of your life here tonight that is not surrendered to Jesus Christ? You know, it was the Japanese who first introduced to us the concept of the bonsai plant. You familiar with them? They're just small miniature plants that we have in our home and offices to decorate with. I am told 
that when the Japanese first started making and marketing bonsai plants, they'd simply go out in the forest. They'd go out in wherever the foliage was and they would pick a plant from its natural habitat. And they'd bring it in and they would restrict its roots from growing. They would limit the sunlight and the moisture and the fertilizer and all that's needed for that plant to grow. And they would prune it back, prune it back, prune it back, prune it back. And they would keep it that small stature, that miniature size. And the Japanese would always remind their children that, hey, if we allow this plant to grow, it'll become something bigger and much larger than it is. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what God wants for us. But we're the ones who hinder our own spiritual growth. God looks down at us and sees that we are small and miniature in size when he knows that deep down in our lives there is a potential for something for us to be so much larger and greater in influence than we are because we're not reading the Bible. We're letting people just tell us what we think is right and true. We're not searching and mining the truths from the Bible on our own. We're not true and honest with ourselves. Because if we were, we know that we would leave church a whole lot more often saying, Lord, we've got some work to do. And our prayer lives, not where they need to be. And surrender. Do your inventory. Watch what God does as he takes these truths and brings them to your mind and to my mind over and over in the next few days and weeks and months and we commit ourselves to studying his word and being honest with ourselves and being genuine people for everybody that we come into contact with and spending time with them in prayer and you'll discover that you are growing and you are soaring in your spiritual walk. That is my prayer. For every single one of us, Temple Baptist Church, Ruston, Louisiana. Father, I pray that you would take this message, use it as only you can. Father, if there is any person here tonight who has yet to publicly acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would give them the courage and the freedom to come forward, even in this service, and say yes. I have felt that tug, that call on my heart, and I want to give myself to Jesus Christ and ask him to live this life through me. I want to be baptized and ask this church to pray for me and tutor me and instruct me and educate me on what it means to be a Christian. Lord, if there are Christians in this service who are looking for a church home. And because your spirit would lead them, let them come to unite with this church family tonight. And as we receive members in many ways, let them come believing that they can use what gifts and talents and abilities they have so that your church may be strengthened. Father, I pray that if there is any Christian here tonight who would sense a need to commit to you afresh and anew in some way, something that we've talked about, Lord, just one kernel of truth that's resonated with us. Let us say yes to your Holy Spirit. May we leave this service different from how we came in. 
if nothing more, just that our capacity and our desire to love you, to know you, to serve you has increased. Lord, that is our prayer. We give this invitation, Father, on your behalf. Do with us as you see fit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Quietly, would you stand and sing? Our worship team is going to lead us in a song. Our pastor is going to be here at the front to pray with you, to love you, to counsel with you. Whatever way God would speak, let him have his way. The altar is open. If you simply want to come and kneel and pray and seal up what he said to you tonight, commit it to him in prayer. This invitation belongs to the Lord. Let's give it to him.